The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and today we are wrapping up season two with a special best of episode. I'm going to share with you clips from our team's favorite episodes going back to January of this year. Then we're going to take a two-week break before we come back at you in July with season three, which is already shaping up to feature some really interesting voices. Listeners, as I scanned our guest list for season two of the EcoRite Speaks, I almost forgot that we kicked off the season with Luke Orlando, the youngest council member of the city of Pearland, Texas. Here's his reflection on the importance of getting young conservatives involved in the fight to solve climate change. Yeah, I, I think that the the young, I, I, I think that there's a, a really important perspective from young voters. And it's even within the Republican party, I think among all young people, 85 to 90% want more done on climate change. And amongst young Republicans, it's two to one, you know, want more federal action on climate change. Um, And and so the the biggest thing that I keep coming back to though, and that I relay uh, to older or uh, more eco-hesitant folks uh, that, that I come across in the party is there are, uh, it was a poll I saw, I think last year that showed for, that climate change was the single most important issue for young voters. Uh, and if the Republican party doesn't have a solution to offer there, then we, we simply can't compete for those voters at all. Uh, and, and we're going to lose them forever. I and mean, we have to bring something to the table um, and it needs to be something that's market oriented that is consistent with our conservative values. Uh, but, but we have to bring something to the table because it's, it's the, the right policy for our planet and it's the only politically viable policy if we wanna to continue to win the next generation of voters. Like Luke Orlando, George Gemelis is one of the leading young conservatives on the issue of climate change. Our friend from Students for Carbon Dividends, he recently moved home to Indiana, where he hopes to be a positive influence in moving people on climate change. In our conversation, he shared why he thinks his home state Senator Mike Braun is going to have an important role to play in moving durable bipartisan climate legislation. I think uh, my own senator, Senator Mike Braun, is somebody who I um, look up to immensely on this topic. Two years ago, when he came into Congress as a senator, uh, he immediately jumped into the climate uh, debate. Um, he said, uh, he, I think he was looking on his side of our side of the aisle and, um, and said, well, you know, what are we doing on this? Um, you know, this is basic chemistry and basic physics. And if we're not on the game, we're on the menu. So I think the uh, Senator Braun, alongside Senator Chris Coons, um, started the bipartisan Climate Solutions Caucus in the Senate, which now has seven Democrats and seven Republicans, all of whom are, are committed to actually solving the, the climate challenge that we have and um, you know, looking for common sense solutions. And I think what distinguishes Senator Braun's um, approach is that he's, yes, looking to 
you know, drive down emissions and solve the problem, but also make sure that other very important considerations like creating jobs um, and protecting, you know, our economy are in the conversation. Um, and I think his caucus and what they've done in the past uh, two years is a testament to that. They've met with CEOs, they've met with farmers, they've met with entrepreneurs, uh, you know, people who are trying to sequester carbon out of thin air and put it into rock. These are amazing things. And I'm really glad that Senator Braun and his peers are having these very serious conversations and sort of hammering out uh, the details for any policies to come. Early in season two, we featured our first and so far only meteorologist, Mike Nelson, who works in the Denver media market and has won a couple of Emmys for his reporting. He shared the best analogy I've ever heard for how weather is different from climate. And I tell you, listeners, I'm going to be using this one from here on out. Well, an analogy that I've developed over the years that seems to uh, work pretty well with people is, uh, you know, weather is, is a fast-changing event and climate is a long-term. So I like to say that weather is one play in a football game and climate is the history of the National Football League. It's actually easier to predict climate than it is to predict weather because weather is very fast-changing and frequently big extremes from one day to the next with a storm system coming in. For instance, if you decided that you wanted to get away from the cold uh, in the month of February, would you go to Denver, Colorado, or would you go to Miami, Florida? Obviously, you'd say, I'm going to go to Miami, Florida, because the climate of Miami indicates that the odds are very good that you would have warm weather in February, while Denver would be much colder. The weather of that one particular weekend that you might go to Florida may be that Denver has warm Chinook winds and we have temperatures in the 60s, while a cold front has moved through Miami and you have cloudy temperatures in the 50s. So that doesn't mean the climate of Miami has changed. It meant that you just were unlucky with the weather that you got when you went to Miami. If you like Mike's analogy, you might really like the book he co-authored, The World's Littlest Book on Climate, 10 Facts in 10 Minutes About CO2. You can pick it up on Amazon or wherever your favorite place to buy books is. Moving on, we were fortunate to have a few different voices from the faith community join me in conversations. Our dear friends, Ben Lowe and Jessica Mormon. As Ben recounts, his faith has evolved over time to guide his love of the outdoors. Sure, that's a great question. And it's a long story that I'll try to keep much tighter, um, which is that that's how I came to it. You know, I grew up a Christian. I grew up a person of faith. Faith was the most important part of my life. But I also really loved the outdoors. I loved fishing, hiking, camping. And those things were connected for most of my childhood. I'm sorry, those things were disconnected for most of my childhood. Uh, I didn't see how my faith had anything to do with my love for the outdoors and the environment. And then uh, while I was an undergraduate at Wheaton College, a Christian school outside of Chicago, it was really my professors there in the theology department who helped me connect my Christian faith and all the resources and teachings that it gives uh, that motivate us to be concerned about the environment, help us to understand our place in this world and our role in this world. And then it was really a lot of my science professors that connected the dots for me between all the main, you know, the great challenges that we're dealing with in the world today 
and how uh, integral the environment and environmental well-being is to the well-being and health of people. And so, you know, if you could sum it up, I think Jesus was asked what the most important commandments were. He said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what it boiled down to for me uh, as a college student coming, you know, making these connections for the first time in my life is that I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength if I don't care for and love the world that he made, that he declares good, and that is part of his plan. And I, same as for the second, I can't claim to love my neighbor as myself if I'm not willing to engage wholeheartedly in this work of caring for the environment that we all depend on for our survival and well-being. Likewise, Jessica makes a strong case for how her work and the work of many conservative Christians is compatible with the desire to be a good steward of the environment. But what I'm really hopeful about is, again, seeing this this return and this coming back together and a rediscovery, again, of conservative values, of Christian values being entirely compatible with environmental stewardship, both to... Um, in my own Christian faith to care for God's creation that shows love for the creator, as well as to, to love our neighbors, recognizing that we do this for people, not polar bears, <laughs> that real people, our own communities are being hurt whenever we ignore the problem of, of climate change or pollution. Our children's future is being hurt and those protecting our, 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 our children's future, giving, passing down a, a strong foundation to the next generation is very much at the core of conservative values and Christian values. And so just by making that, helping make that connection between how environmental stewardship already matches our existing values, the things we already care about, I think is really key and central and what we're beginning to see happen at scale, which I'm so excited about. Listeners, sometimes I never know how a recording is going to go, either because I've never met the guest or I didn't get much of a chance to talk to them ahead of recording. Related, sometimes a guest I've known for a long time surprises me with a radio voice. I almost never know what to expect when I sit down to record an episode. There were three guests this season who blew me out of the water. First, I've been a devotee of skeptical science for more than 10 years. I did not know when I asked climate scientist John Cook to be on the show that one, he'd bring a great Australian accent to the table, and that two, he kickstarted skeptical science as a way to bolster his arguments about climate change with his cranky father in law. It actually began with having arguments with my father in law about climate change. <gasps> So, like we all have a cranky uncle in our family, right? Like mine was, well, I've, I've a number of them. My father, my father-in-law, my uncle, <laughs> basically any male in the older generation. And uh, he would, um, it was at a lunch, and he started throwing these arguments on why he didn't think climate change was real or human caused. And I went away afterwards and started researching his arguments and realized that there was just no science behind it. And so like any competitive son-in-law who wants to win an argument with his father-in-law, I started researching, started preparing for the next I love this. <laughs> but yeah, certainly I'm a super nerd and 
And probably most people don't prepare for a family to get together by building a database of possible arguments that your father-in-law might <laughs> might present. Uh, but eventually I realised that other people might find this a useful resource as well, and that's when I launched Skeptical Science. Another standout, my conversation with Ann Kelly from Ceres. Spoiler alert, we both did the interview in our pajamas with coffee in hand. Next time, it will be over a glass of wine. She's so smart and savvy and is integral in bringing the business community together on pricing carbon. Well, that's exactly the right question, Chelsea, and I really like the way you frame it. And and you and I both know that what we need is durable bipartisan legislation. That is exactly what Ceres and our members are committed to. And we've quoted you many times from your comment at our conference. That was one of the most popular interviews we held because I think people were really struck at your courage in coming right out and saying, yes, if the ballot were secret, because really what you're saying is, you know, in the heartland, throughout the country, there's tremendous support for moving this forward. There's tremendous support for investing in the clean energy economy. And I can and I continue to believe that that's the case. A few positive signs, you know, we want to depoliticize this issue and not let the politics get in front of the policy. So get right down to work on what it is we need to pass. I think it was notable and often forgotten that at the end of 2020, December 2020, there was a bipartisan climate bill passed, among other things. Um, It included an amendment to phase down hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, which are really important and potent uh, pollutant. And so that's positive. And I, I think that got lost in the news cycle. Importantly, the methane CRA just passed and that that will now allow us to pull back um, the Trump restrictions on methane regulation, allow us to regulate that extremely potent greenhouse gas. Lastly, my interview with climate scientist Tracy Holloway stands out as an amazing conversation. I learned of Dr. Holloway's work after reading an article about the new nonprofit Science Moms, which works to demystify climate science for moms who might not otherwise have the time to do the research, or also for moms who are just worried about the future their kids might inherit. Inherit. Often when you think about what a scientist is going to be like, the stereotype is that he or she won't be approachable or someone you could have a down-to-earth conversation with. But that was the complete opposite of my experience with Dr. Holloway, who explained the work she does to make climate change something everyone can talk about. Yeah, that is that is a great question. And You know, I'd say that um, one of the funny things about the way we train scientists here in America, probably around the world, is that, you know, you go from being, you know, coming out of high school or coming out of college and being interested in all these things and able to talk in a normal way. And you get deeper and deeper and deeper into this sub-community of experts within experts within experts where you're really expected to talk in jargon and expected to you know, describe things mathematically. And so actually there's sort of an unlearning process that you have to do to be able to take the kernel of knowledge, the technical idea, and kind of roll it back to what you would have wanted to hear before you had started a PhD. And, you know, to me, I know I talk to my mom every day and I have lots of friends who aren't in science. And so to me, this idea of, being a good communicator, I mean, again, it's it's a personal issue. It's not just something I do for work. But I have benefited from a lot of training programs on how to talk about science, how to take big ideas and make them 
accessible. And I think, again, because I both do research and teach classes, my students are always keeping me honest and making sure that if I don't explain something clearly, they're going to call me out on it. So when it comes to climate change, um, one of the things that I always like to do is to make it clear, you know, what do we know? And to make it as relevant and personal as possible. And I'm just noticing now that two of my favorite guests this season are climate scientists, which is amazing. Listeners, I'd be remiss if I didn't end today's recap show with our most recent episode. Katrina Rourke is the OG climate staffer for our executive director, Bob Inglis, having worked for him when he was in the House of Representatives in 2009 when he introduced the Raise Wages, Cut Carbon Act. And Katrina's words reflecting on that time in her life. Yeah, so I, Bob blindsided me a little bit, right? So I, I went up to work, what I, what I thought was to um, help Bob when he was ranking member on a subcommittee that oversaw the agency that I came from. Um, that part was going to be challenging, but um, felt in my wheelhouse. And a couple of weeks in, it was like, uh, oh, surprise. Um, Bob is going to step out, work on carbon pricing, um, first Republican to write a carbon tax bill. Um, and lucky me, I had to figure out what that meant. Um, so there wasn't a lot to draw on then, right? So we had the carbon price. That part was pretty straightforward. Um, but the what we did with the revenue was we bought down um, payroll taxes, which directly interacts with the social security program. And then we were going to introduce this novel concept called a border carbon adjustment, which at that point, the academic literature was Gary Hofbauer at the Peterson Institute had found a footnote in an annex document to a WTO agreement, and that was the justification for a border carbon adjustment. So we had to take that and turn it into <laughs> legislative language. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> if it weren't for Bob um, making sure that that made it in, it would have been really easy to write this bill without a border carbon adjustment component. Um, that's what Waxman Markey did because it was so hard. Uh, so that there is a literature on it now that the European Union is talking about it. Um, Bob couldn't have foreseen any of that. So right when we were when we were hanging this on a footnote to an annex document, um, Bob had the, the vision to see that we couldn't price carbon without pricing it at the border, too. Um, and it's really changed how we talk about carbon policy. That was a fun walk down memory lane that also ties into Katrina's work today. For the Climate Leadership Council, Katrina managed a newly released case study that shows how beneficial a border adjustment, a border carbon adjustment is for the U.S. steel industry. Take a listen. Two weeks ago now, um, an update to that um, carbon advantage work, which is a case study on the U.S. steel industry. So we wanted to find out what happens if we price carbon in the U.S. market, apply the same carbon price to imported products, remove that price from exported products. Um, how does the U.S. steel industry shake out? And um, I knew that, that we were going to get good news. I didn't know we were going to get news this good. Our analysis found that um, if you sort of reshuffle the supply curve based on the carbon intensity of production, the U.S. is the most carbon efficient manufacturer of steel of any of our trading partners. Nobody beats us in carbon efficiency. So that's the first finding. The second 
is that if you introduce our policy, um, a price with a border carbon adjustment, you will cut imports in half and you'll increase sales of domestically produced steel and the profit margin for the domestic steel industry. So we're showing for the first time that a carbon price can increase the profitability of a carbon intensive domestic manufacturing sector. It's awesome. <laughs> And those are just a few of my favorites, folks. If there were other favorites that you had that I didn't mention, then please reach out. I would love to hear what episodes and what guests most resonated with you. Price, happy end of season two. We did it. Two whole seasons. We did. Great job. Fantastic job. Uh, You know, thanks to all our guest to you for your hard work to bob inglis for believing in us for our entire team for their patience sometimes but also for their patience and for promoting our work here on the eco right speaks podcast but especially thank you to all our listeners who have made this possible because they have asked for more we have tried to deliver more and their listenership subscribing downloading listening telling friends all that kind of stuff um, makes the difference. And so thank you to every single listener, whether you've listened to one or every episode, you are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and I just have to give a special shout out to you price because when we decided that we were going to put this recap episode together, not to pull the curtain too far back, but we just had a slightly different editorial view on what that was going to sound like. So thank you for your hard work and your patience in putting this all together. Uh, don't thank me. Thank you, because you help bring all these interviews and stuff to light and to life every week with these guests we have from around the country, here, there, everywhere, literally. Um, you know, so it, it kind of, it, as you mentioned, it... It, it just came, it fell on a natural time to wrap up season two, and we just went with it, with this being the last episode of season two, because season three will be back next month. That's right. We, and you know, next month, it sounds like, oh, so far away. Literally, next month is around the corner. So we will be back in your ears, listeners, in mid-July going to get a little R&R. I don't know. Are you going on vacation price or you've done your vacations? Yeah, we kind of did. We'll be going away for a very brief time in August, but that's after school starts. So you can't get too far from the nest, uh, you know, once school begins, because I think we're going to have hopefully a pretty normal, as we hope as we sit here right now, a pretty normal school ne- year next year. And certainly after what we've been through this past year and you know wrapping up the previous school year I don't want to I really don't want to stray too far from the nest (laughs) hey you and me both both. I have a kid who's about to enter senior year and he hasn't had a normal school year in a year and a half so we're really excited for absolutely absolutely have good things on this podcast I've got some exciting interviews already lined up that we'll be bringing to our friends here listening and so we're just going to get that little pause Uh, work on our programming, do some of our other duties, because you and I both have lots of other little things we do and big things that we do for RepublicEN.org. And and to that end, Price, what do we have for new members this week? All right, Chelsea, for new members this week, Sharon G. Kentucky, Bryant S. in North Carolina, Joseph C. in New Jersey, Stephen R. in Maine, and John C. in New York, forward slash Republican, 
dot org forward slash join. That is where you sign up, folks. Republicin.org forward slash join. It takes mere seconds. We tell you every week. We don't spam you. You get weekend review. You get a few quick poll questions we might send out once every week or two. Look, we do not overwhelm your inbox, We, but the power is in numbers. We need you, especially if you're a conservative listener right now. Please, before you stop listening to this, go to republican.org forward slash join. It takes seconds. We need you. Sign up, please. So, Price, this is a very unrelated question, but are you the kind of person that has, like, 26,000 unread emails in your inbox, or do you have three? I am unlike you, where I know you do not like emails to go unread, but my inbox, I will give you a check right now. You probably don't want to hear this number, because it will probably make you cringe. I am north of 9,000 unread. Ah, my head is exploding. But that all... That also goes back, let me just say, that goes back years, like six, seven, eight years of this inbox. So that is a long time. (laughs) It is a long time, but wow. Um, That must be why we're so compatible with the podcast, because we each have different ways of looking at the world. (laughs) It is, um, but, uh, you know, it... um, I, I know those emails that got to be read and that got to be tended to. So I got things to do and I do them. So a lot well, of you it... do them during the break. Then why don't you work on your inbox during All the right. break? And I... I think you can go ahead and safely delete ones that are over a year that you have not read. I might be able to do that. I might be able to do that. Let me just go ahead before we do break for the Fourth of July holiday. I hope everybody has a wonderful, blessed celebratory Independence Day. I know it's just around the corner. Um, You know, really want to say, you know, again, thanks to all our listeners. But if you are interested in having a member of our team, uh, Bob Inglis, uh, Chelsea Henderson, myself, uh, Wynn Lee, um, anybody on our team, uh, speak to your organization locally. We're getting back on the road. Bob Inglis got back on the road just yesterday, our very first in-person event as an organization, I believe, since I know Bob's first in-person event, he spoke at Tar Heel Boys State in Salisbury, North Carolina, which boys states and girls states go on all across the country, thanks to the American Legion. Um, Bob spoke there in Salisbury, uh, thanks to Chris Bird and their team again for having him. Uh, but we're getting back on the road. Uh, we're doing that this summer and especially in the fall. And if you are a class, if you're a student organization, if you are maybe a rotary club um, if you are a, uh, or a, a business and you're putting together a panel, whatever it may be, get in touch with us. Let us know if you would like to have uh, a member of our EcoRight team, somebody talking about climate from a conservative aspect like we do, like Bob does. Please let us know. Uh, you can drop me your line at uh, price at republican.org. I handle all our events, not to uh, you know put my work front and center because we all wear a lot of hats here at Republican.org as a very small team. But you know, as we're filling out the calendar, it's something I'm working on. That's what I'm going to be spending my next uh, few weeks on. Is really working hard uh, to populate uh, the fall, which is usually our busiest time of year, uh, to get Bob back in front of groups and everything. But if it's not just Bob, if it's somebody else from our team, you want to have Republican.org as a presence at your event. If it's a um, if it's a co-sponsor of an event you've got going on, but certainly if you want a member of our team as a speaker, including Bob, 
let me know price at republican.org we are working on the fall right now to now is the perfect time to let let us know and reach out to me specifically we will make it happen and i also to that to that point want to just say thank you to everyone who has recommended a topic for the show or a guest that is so helpful to us as we put the programming together we are going to work during this break to um, honor some of those requests we had one to do some sort of like primer on the on reggie the regional greenhouse gas initiative so we'll bring we're trying to line up the right expert to talk about that statewide regional effort to reduce greenhouse gases we've had um Certain lawmakers have been requested, so we're we're we definitely hear that, and it sets a little spark off. And sometimes your idea sparks another idea. Mm-hmm. So really, this programming, our programming, our live programming, our recorded programming, our written programming, it all only works if people are listening, people are reading, people are attending our events. So everyone is part of the greater Republican.org team. You're all eco-right, and we love you. Your fo- your ideas, your feedback, it's invaluable, folks, to all our listeners. If you've got something we need to know about, a, like you said, a guest idea, a topic, something, doesn't matter, please let us know. Drop us a line. We can always get better. We want to think outside the box. We try and think outside the box, but we also uh, want to bring what you guys want, what you want to hear. And so keep the suggestions coming. You know, but in, in, as far as that goes, Chelsea, you know, that's going to do it for this season. It's a great time to go back and listen to any episode you missed, uh, any of the previous, what, 20 plus episodes from this season. And you can go back and listen to things from last year, you know, season one, uh, when we launched last summer. Uh, A lot of uh, interviews that are not dated, you know, that have a lot of relevancy, no matter if they're if it's a year, you know, if it's a year later, which in some of this case they are from when we launched about a a little over a year ago. So go back and listen to maybe some episodes you hadn't heard. There's some great interviews. They're timeless. They're perfect. Uh, And and especially if you're walking on the beach, if you just want to chill out on the beach or veg out on your, uh, you know, on your back porch. It's a great way to do it by going back and listening to the soothing tones of Chelsea Henderson talk with some outstanding (laughs) guests that we've had. Well, uh, thank you for that compliment. It's funny when I listen to our own podcast in my office, sometimes my kids will walk by and go, is that you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, that is us. That is Chelsea Henderson. I'm Price Atkinson, but she is the star. She has done so much, and we're going to do so much here in Season 3 coming at you next month in July. Again, download, listen, subscribe, but subscribe most importantly so you can get a new episode delivered to your inbox on Tuesdays once we come back at you in the month of July. Until then, we will talk to you then, Chelsea Henderson. That's right. Happy 4th of July, folks. Happy 4th. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at republicen.org. Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 